I'm going to just out the gate. The title of my message is Triggered. Everything at C3 Church triggered me when I first started coming here. And I'm going to be sharing around some of those things. But before I get into telling you everything that triggered me um, in this church, I want to tell you how we actually came about coming to C3 San Diego. So it was just over 13 years ago. And we were a part of an amazing church in San Diego. We ran a Bible study slash connect group there and loved the church, thought I'd, you know, live my life, raise my children, be buried in the church there. And, and I had no intention of leaving and... Uh, Someone that was in our connect group at the time, he's now our North Campus pastor, uh, Dr. Matt. So Dr. Matt came to our connect group at our other church. So it just so happened that Dr. Matt met Pastor Jurgen, our senior leader, before C3 San Diego even started. So Matt met Pastor Jurgen before the church even had its first Sunday. And so if you know Dr. Matt, he's very passionate. And so he started talking to my husband about this new amazing church that was starting. And I started to get really annoyed with Dr. Matt. And he was, he was him and John would work out together. And Dr. Matt would be telling about all the conversations he had with you. He's going to change San Diego, blah, blah, blah. And he was giving John CDs, because back in the day we would give out CDs of, of Pastor Jurgen's preaching. He would give them to John. And John was getting all fired up about this C3 church. And so I, of course, told him in the most submissive way that... <laughs> I would not be leaving our church, and I would not be going to that C3 church where they kept talking about the Holy Spirit. Because we were, we were both raised Baptists, and so, yeah, I know the Holy Spirit's like the third person of the Trinity, but you're not supposed to talk about him. Like, at least that's what I thought. And so I was getting more and more bothered by Dr. Matt talking to my husband, getting him all fired up. And then Dr. Matt had the audacity to set up a lunch meeting with Pastor Jurgen and my husband. I didn't know this was happening. He met with Pastor Jurgen, and he came home and told me, and I'm like, how dare you cheat on our church? Like, you're cheating on our church. And he's like, babe, like, relax. We're not going there, you know? And, uh, and so, and then I was just like, you better not be hanging out with all these C3 people. He's like, honey, I don't know anyone. Like, relax. And so, you know, some time went by, and and I made it very clear I wouldn't visit C3 on a Sunday because I wasn't leaving my church, but I'd be more than happy, reluctantly, happy to attend their midweek services with you. And so uh, remember how John said he didn't know anyone from C3? Well, yeah. So anyways, we pull up to this midweek Wednesday thing. I'm a little tense already because I'm, I'm not wanting to like these people. And uh, we get out of the car. I kid you not. The first three people that John runs into in the parking lot were like, hi, John. Hi, John. Hi, John. I'm like, oh, I thought you didn't know anybody. I'm like fuming. And then God has such a sense of humor. We arrive at the front door and there's this gorgeous angelic person standing there in white, beautiful blonde hair, stunning, attractive. And she goes, John, you're coming to my house tonight. I'm like, who the hell is that? And why are you going to her house? He's like, I swear, I don't know. I have no idea who she is. Come to find out, it was Pastor Leanne. And apparently Dr. Matt had told her that my friend John is coming and could he also come to the dinner at your house after? We didn't know this, but at the time I was like, 
every red flag was just firing and I was so tense and I was so angry, full of rage, full of rage, sitting down to church service. And, but what was funny is that while I was so upset, the spirit of God started to move on my heart. And that very night, with all the rage that I had approaching the service, I actually responded to the ministry message that night and lifted my hand during the altar call. And it was so crazy because I had all these issues with this C3 church, but my heart was being so drawn and softened towards it. And so my heart, yes, had begun to soften, but it, I, we, I still wasn't ready to make the move. And it was through a series of events. Many of you know our story. Uh, John, my husband, out of nowhere, both of his kidneys started to fail, and we were in, the, in and out of the ER a few times, but they didn't know it was his kidneys. They just sending him, kept sending him home, saying he was severely constipated. <laughs> so anyways, but then our third trip to the ER, they were annoyed with us that he was back for his severe constipation, but then they actually realized it wasn't constipation, that his renal, or his, his kidneys were in acute renal failure, both of them. And so what their language and demeanor was very annoyed with us being back in the ER, very much turned to concern, and they started to ask us if we, we had a will. And so we're in the hospital, and our very sincere friends from the church we were attending came and prayed that if it was God's will, if you would please minister to John and things like that. Um, and, and it wasn't until someone from this church, who we had never met before, who fasted the entire day to come pray with John at the hospital, declared that not if it was God's will, we declared that it was God's will to heal. And he started to pray and to prophesy and declare healing over John's body. And sure enough... John was miraculously healed and released from the hospital. We had never in our lives experienced the presence and the power of God or his healing like we had experienced that day in the hospital. So you would have thought that was enough for me to like warm up to these C3 people, but it wasn't. And then, so, and then what, what we didn't realize was that we had, we were actually pregnant at the time that we were in the hospital, he was in the hospital and we didn't know this, I wasn't taking care of myself, it was a very stressful time. And uh, we don't know what the reason was, but we ended up miscarrying a few months into the pregnancy. And of course we were brokenhearted and, and Pastor Jurgen heard about our miscarriage and he said, you know what, Becky needs to get to our first cherished women's conference. I'm going to pay her way, and, and I needed her to be there because Pastor Christine Pringle, who you saw on the screen, was going to be ministering and preaching and sharing about the story of her miscarriage and how God had really healed her through all of that experience. And so I came not knowing anyone to the first cherished conference, and it, it was at that conference that God really began to speak to me and minister to me and began to heal parts of my broken heart. And, and I remember... Um, there was a point in the message that she started talking about, get out your notepad, get out your pen. God's going to give you a vision. He's going to give you a vision of your future. And I had never heard language like that. I thought visions were for only people who did acid. Like, I, I didn't know what was happening. But sure enough, I just started writing. And, and God, it was like I was watching a movie of myself. I saw what I was wearing. I, I saw myself in ministry and never had I thought of ministry. I was such a mess at the time. And how gracious is God that he would even consider me in the mess of a state I was in. But he showed me a glimpse of my future, sharing my testimony that was quite colorful, what I'd be wearing, what scriptures I'd be saying. It was so vivid. And I remember leaving that place knowing, despite my questions, we needed to make C3 our home. And I just knew that was where my breakthrough was going to come.
So while I had all these questions about the theology and, and what they believed, I joined C3 Church. We joined C3 Church the next Sunday. And I still, though, had lots of questions. And I was so religious. I was so religious. Because all I had experience was religion. I was, the, I was that person in the scripture in Matthew that, that says this, Matthew 23, 27 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And that was me. That was me. On the outside, I looked like I had it all together and was so righteous, but on the inside, I was a mess. You know, I spoke of God's forgiveness, but I never really received it for myself, and nor dare I extend forgiveness to anyone else. I talked about God's grace, yet I judged everyone and everything. I talked about freedom in Christ, but I was so in bondage to fear and anxiety and worry and depression. I talked about God's unconditional love, yet I spent my whole life feeling like I had to earn it and I never felt worthy of it. I talked about life and life abundantly, as it says in the scriptures, but I never experienced it. So you can imagine walking through the doors of C3 Church, appearing righteous on the outside, but having all these belief systems on the inside of me that everything C3 talked about triggered me. It totally triggered me. The first thing that I was bothered by was, why was everyone so nice? <laughs> I was so annoyed that everyone was so nice. I was judging everyone going, you are so fake. They are so fake. And you know why I was saying they were fake? Because if I was being nice, I was being fake. So I just assumed it wasn't genuine and they were also fake. And it's usually the issues that you have in yourself you like to point out in other people. So all these nice people were just fake, 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 fake. And then the second thing that triggered me was why was everyone so attractive? It really bothered me. And I was so insecure at the time. I could not handle attractive people in my world. So I tried to judge everyone and cover everybody up and tell everyone what they should be wearing. Did you know, God bless her, Pastor Michaela, who's now married to Dr. Matt at our North Campus, she thought she was coming over to be my new friend. But no, I had invited her over to let her know that she needed to change how she dressed. And she was very inappropriate. And this sweet little thing who was so much younger than me just sat there not knowing what to say. And here I was judging her and telling her what she should and shouldn't wear. But I was just following suit because that's what I, people did to me when I was growing up. I went to a small private Christian college that had a very strict dress code. And I abided by that dress code. But you know what? Every week I got in trouble. And every week I'd get pulled in and being told that while everyone else could wear fitted jeans, you cannot because you are attractive and you are making people stumble. So I had to go get a loose wardrobe so the men wouldn't stumble in my college. And then I would read scriptures like this, like it didn't make sense to me, because Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And no one start plucking their eyeballs out, okay? <laughs> Figurative. But it doesn't say, if a woman causes you to stumble, cover her up. No, that's what religion does. Religion wants you to fix the outside, change the outside, do all these things, instead of actually dealing with the heart issue of lust. And I'm not, I'm not disagreeing that there's something to be said about modesty, being pure of heart, and not intentionally dressing seductively. Sure, there's something to be said about that. So I'll, I'll just say this to you. 
You know, there's that, you know, when you go fishing, there's a certain bait you use to catch a certain kind of fish. Well, the bait you use and how you dress is gonna determine the kind of man you wanna catch. So, so poor Michaela. The number three. I was triggered when they talked about money. Every week, I was so bothered. And I shared this last week in a tithe message, but it's worth sharing again. So I was actually a tither. I had tithed my whole life since I was four. And I gave offerings, always. I had no problem with giving. My problem was that I was taught and trained up to believe that you should never expect anything in return when you give. That you only give out of obedience. And God may bless your family or other areas of your life or give you joy, but he would not bless you back financially. And so I was so agitated every time they read from the Bible in church every week for four minutes about money. I was totally triggered because they were reading from the Bible passages such as this. Psalm 35, 27, that God delights in the prosperity of his children. Did you know the churches I grew up in, prosperity was a four-letter word? And so, and then they would read scriptures like Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured back into your lap. For with the measure you use will be measured back to you. And I'm like, whoa, wait. So you're not only saying God wants to bless you, he's going to give back to you. With the, I can actually determine the level of financial blessing God gives back to me. Because if I give little, he's going to give little back. If I give much, he's going to give much back. And this was just wrecking my theology. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, 8, and 10. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance, wait, abundance, what? For every good work. Verse 10, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seeds you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So not only only were they reading the Bible about God wanting to bless you with the measure you use. Then we talked about the multiplication principle that was supernatural. Like, wait, wait. So you're not saying he's just going to give back. He's going to multiply everything I sow. This was wrecking me. And every time, every week, they would talk around money. And again, I was a tither. I, my, that religious spirit, that poverty spirit in me would manifest. And I would get so agitated. I could not hear and receive the truth because the lie had been so ingrained in my heart. And the truth will only trigger us when we've embraced a lie. So now I am so thankful that I have overcome this lie. And now I not just expect it, I declare blessing and prosperity over my life. And we are living in so much supernatural blessing. It's ridiculous. But it's because the measure we use, it will be measured back to us and multiplied back to us. Amen. Amen. The fourth thing I was triggered by was women preachers and ministers. It bothered me so much. Yes, God has such a sense of humor. I sure had to get over this one or else I wouldn't have a job. And so, so, so the reason why I didn't like women preachers and ministers was because I used the one famous scripture that I had been taught growing up. Well, actually, there's two. There's one in uh, 1 Corinthians, and there's the similar one in Timothy. But this was the scripture that I would quote to everybody about women preachers. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 30, 35. Let your women keep silent in the churches. 
for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. And boy, did I like to quote that scripture a lot. So here's the thing, a couple things. First of all, I had taken two scriptures completely out of context and created a theology around it. I did not consider who it was written to, why it was written, or consider all the other scriptures that talked about women in ministry. And one other thing to point out is that when it says, let your women, the Greek translation is also wives. So they're actually addressing wives in this scripture. So this is what was happening at the time. If you take a step back, when you read the scripture, Paul was writing to the Corinth church who he had heard rumors that they were in complete disorder. Things were chaotic in their church services, so he was writing to bring order to the specific issues that were being problematic in that era and in that time. And it just so happened that in this time, women were uneducated. So one, they did worry that they could uh, be easily misled because of false teachers because they had not been educated about the scriptures. But in the Corinth church, the wives were speaking out because they were uneducated, asking questions during the middle of a church service, which is not the appropriate time or place to get clarity on your theology. Can you imagine if every time you had a question, specifically you women, where there are a lot of you in here, every time you had a question about theology, you just yelled out and wanted me to answer the question in the middle of the message. How distracting would that be? Because we're quite vocal, aren't we? That would be so distracting. So he was addressing the particular problem. And then when it says, that's why it says, if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. It's not the appropriate time to be learning the basic things about Christianity in the middle of a church service. And that's why it says it was shameful because their ignorance and their interruptions were bringing shame onto their husbands. That's, that's why they were to be kept silent in church. So we can get into trouble when we take verses out of context. And if it was really God's intention for women to be silent in church and to have no place in ministry based on the scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, then why three chapters earlier in, in 1 Corinthians 11:5 does it instruct women on what to wear and how to cover their head when they are ministering the gospel? So you have to take everything in context and who it was being written to. And, and if it was really God's intention for, for them to have no place in ministry, then I think it's interesting that God mentions Aquila and Priscilla first in Acts 18, a husband and a wife who had a legitimate house church and ministry. And then Jesus subsequently mentions her them five other times in the gospels as being effective ministers, a husband and a wife, male and female. And then there's a passage of scripture in Acts 18, 24 through 26, where it talks about Apollos, and they say he's an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. Well, he came to Ephesus and was teaching the people. And it tells us in Acts 18, 26, that while Apollos was teaching the people, a man was teaching, Aquila and Priscilla heard what he was teaching and had to pull him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. So not only does God mention Aquila and Priscilla, male and female, six times in the Bible as being effective ministers, he even allows the scripture in the Bible where a male and a female actually can bring some correction to a man that is mighty in the scriptures about how he had gotten off course in his theology. How amazing is that? So good, could God be trying to tell us something? Could he say that women actually have a place in ministry? 
And if you're still struggling with this, let me help you with this. Did you know God actually entrusted two women to the completed gospel message? The Bible says that if Jesus did not raise from the dead, that our faith is futile. So everything relied on him raising from the dead. Well, he entrusted two women with that message, Mary Magdalene and Mary. And then they went out and spread the gospel and told everyone that Jesus had risen. So I think God chose women for two reasons to spread the gospel message. One, to show that women have a place in preaching the gospel message. And two, he knew the word would spread quickly. And at the end of the day, if it still bothers you, just just know that I am not up here on my own authority. I'm under the authority of our senior pastor, Pastor Jurgen, who has actually asked me to be here preaching the gospel, and then he is under the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The fifth thing I was triggered by was why are they lifting their hands in worship? It really bothered me. Because I was like, again, I'm like, they have to be fake. Because I only knew religion, and religion never pr- pr- like produces a passionate relationship with Jesus. So I didn't have that kind of love or passion to have to lift my hands and worship anyone or anything. And so I concluded that they're only trying to be showy and act spiritual because surely there's no one that could love God that much. But then I would read scriptures like Psalm 134 too. Lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. So I had to get over my issues. The sixth thing that triggered me was why is everyone shouting all the time? Like, why is everyone yelling? Why do we say, give God a shout? I'm like, why are we shouting? I had never been to such a loud church and it was bothering me, you know? And then, but then I read scriptures like this, Psalm 66, one through three, which is written to the chief musicians and choir masters. It says, make a joyful shout to God and all the earth exclamation shouting. Sing out the honor, O do his name. Make his praise glorious, say to the Lord, how awesome are your works, exclamation shouting. I'm like, shoot, I have to get over this shouting thing. The seventh thing that triggered me was that people were speaking in tongues. I actually didn't have a problem. Like, I actually knew it was a legitimate gift. I had read Acts. I knew that that's how Jesus baptized the original disciples and ministers with fire and with power. And once they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they could go out in power and be effective ministers for the gospel. Like, I understood all that. That actually, you can't just pretend those scriptures aren't in the Bible. So I knew it was legitimate. But what bothered me was that when I would hear people speaking in tongues in church, I'm like, you should not be doing that. There's not an interpreter. You need to be quiet. Because I had read scriptures like this, 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and 28. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. So I had to go back to the scriptures and realize that this scripture was directed to people who were going to stand up in front of the church and deliver a prophecy or a message in tongues. So it'd be if someone walked up and said, I have a word for the church and took the mic and then just spoke in tongues and got off. That'd be completely pointless. Like we have no idea what they're saying. Why would you do that? So they're saying, if anyone ever did that, it needs to be interpreted or else they should be silent. But then I took it a step further. Like I was bothered during the prayer time or during worship when people were like, I could hear them speaking in tongues. I'm like, shah, shah, shah. 
No interpreter. Again, I had to go to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 14.2 says that he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And I love the example that Pastor Jurgen helped me understand this with, is if someone came into our church and was speaking Russian, they're from Russia, and during the prayer time, they're praying and they're speaking in Russian. It would not be right or appropriate for me to be like, what are you saying? You need to interpret that to me. No, they're, they're praying to God. They're not talking to you. And so, so during prayer time, a lot of time, I will actually speak in tongues when we're lifting our hands and praying over the book of miracles because I don't always have a word of knowledge of what that person's dealing with. I may not know, but you know what? The Holy Spirit knows. And Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that which cannot be uttered. So it's, it's like the Holy Spirit is praying the perfect prayer through us. So I, know, I may not know what you're going through, but the Holy Spirit says, and I am believing, I am interceding on your behalf, and he is praying the perfect prayer, knowing exactly what you need and what area of breakthrough that you're longing for. So... My, my journey with this one, this was the big one for me, and I think it was the hardest one for me to overcome because I was so in my head about it. I'm such a processor. I'm such a thinker. It doesn't make sense to me. Why am I praying when I don't know what I'm praying, you know, and, and all of this. So I questioned this for about six months, and pastor going to be like, Becky, you've got it. You've got it. I'm like, I don't know if I've got it. And so I'd practice at home, and then I felt silly, and every time I would speak in tongues, I'm like, I'm just making it up, and then I would stop. And it was about six months. I went back and forth. God, is this real? Is it not? Is it real? Is it not? And and I was so tired of questioning. I'm like, God, will you just show me? Like, show me if it's real. I don't want to question you, like, if this is real. And we had traveled with Pastor Jurgen, John and I, to Australia. And we were at a church service. And this kind of the pastor out of nowhere said, uh, oh, everyone just go lay hands on, you know, John and Becky. They're traveling with Pastor Jurgen. And all these people came around and started praying for us. And, like, they were praying out loud, praying, praying, praying. And then I had th it was that day in the elevator I asked God to make it clear to me if it was real if it was a real gift. And so that, then I'm like, and they just kept praying and he was just letting it go on and on. And this person was praying in tongues so loud. And I'm like, kind of like peeking, like they are annoying. Like they're so annoying. And I open my eyes and try to see who the annoying person is. And then I couldn't tell. And I closed my eyes again. And I was just praying and receiving, praying and receiving. Look around the annoying person, can't find him. And then the third time I opened my eyes, I realized that I was the annoying person. The only time it's ever happened in my whole Christian walk and, and having the gift of tongues, one time I was overtaken by it and did not know that I was the annoying, loud person speaking in tongues. And it's never happened like that again. Now it's a choice out of obedience and faith, believing I am interceding through the Holy Spirit. So I'm just sharing that's my story. Can't take it from me. Just It is what it is. So... The other thing that triggered me was when people were falling over, when they were getting prayed for. So, do you have to fall over when someone's praying for you? No. Could you be prayed for sometimes and you feel like you can't stand? Sure. So, we had a little story about this. So, John knew I didn't like people falling over, and I'm still working my theology out on that one. And uh, we went to this church service in the early days. And Pastor Eugene was praying over John, praying that he'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit with tongues. It was just like, and he was just praying that he would have a powerful encounter with God because I could hear what Pastor Eugene was saying. And then, all of a sudden, John starts getting all shaky and weird, all right? And I'm like, what is happening? 
And so he was so paranoid that if he fell over, I would never come to C3. He was trying to stay standing. And the power of God was like powerfully ministering to him. I'm serious, you guys. He was like this. He was like. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you look like an idiot. Fall over already. And at least I was like, and he goes, he like was so worried. And then he lays on the ground. He gets decked, like we like to call it. And then he's like, just starts speaking in tongues. And he's like, oh my God, no, she's never going to come. Like, he, but he could, it, it was like overwhelming. He could not resist. And I literally told him, I was like, you looked like an idiot. And he was like, well, I was so mean, you guys. I was so mean. So do you have to fall over when you get prayed for? You know what? Sometimes it's ritualistic. People choose to voluntary, voluntarily fall out of reverence because they sense the Holy Spirit moving and they want to allow God to minister to them. So they're not faking it. They're volunteering, allowing to surrender to the presence of God. Some people fall out of tradition. They were raised in churches that say a response to people praying for you is you surrender and you fall. Again, they're not trying to fake it. They're just upholding their tradition. Some people, like the encounter John had with the power of God, you cannot stand. Sometimes when God is touching you really powerfully. And Pastor Jurgen helped me overcome this by explaining it to me when a doctor needs to do surgery because there's a part of you that's broken. They will put you under anesthesia first so they can do the operation to make you better. And I have heard so many stories where people will fall out under the power of God. They're out for 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, and guess what? They wake up set free from their demons, healed in their mind, and healed in their bodies. It's amazing. God does the same thing with us. You know, so I think we have to be careful because the scripture doesn't condemn it. So why are we creating a big theology and a stink about it when it's not condemned in the scriptures? And I always love what my husband says. He says, if the creator of the universe can't at least knock me over, we're in trouble. And all we know is that God does move in signs and wonders. And who are we to put him in a box and tell him what he can and can't do and how he can minister to people and how he can't. Amen? Amen. Tell you one thing that didn't trigger me. That's a relief. One thing that didn't trigger me was when I found out that Christians could have demonic oppression. Surprisingly, it didn't trigger me because that's quite out there, right, for a lot of us in, in the churches we were raised in. And I know this is going to sound funny, but I was so relieved to find out I had demons. <laughs> I was like, thank God it's a demon. Because I had spent decades trying to get set free from destructive behaviors, from oppressions, from this irrational, all-consuming fear that controlled every part of my life, the anxiety attacks, you know, me. I mean, it, was, it was horrible how it was wreaking havoc in my life. And you cannot self-help your way out of demonic oppression, and you cannot medicate a demon. So I was like, thank you, Jesus, it's a demon. Because then all I had to do was just have someone that understood their authority and prayed that thing out and cast it out and I was completely set free. Oh, I was such a relief. And I know that's a big one for people to understand, but I wanna encourage you, come to Freedom Night tomorrow. If, you, if this is all new to you, especially the demonic stuff, come tomorrow and just learn, open heart, God, show me. And so, get to freedom night tomorrow. I want to share one more story and I didn't intend to, but around this area, 
the one of the the last Freedom Night we had, I was I was ministering at, and uh, a beautiful young gal in her early twenties came forward, and she started sharing with me how um, she had so much fear. So right away, I'm like, okay, spirit of fear, that's what I was set free from. So that that um, came to my mind, and then she said, I'm so afraid, like I'm gonna die because my mom died. And so I'm like, okay, spirit of death, all right. And then she said, and what I'm afraid of is my mom had a mental illness, and I also have the same mental illness. And I'm in my early 20s. I've had to quit school and quit my job, and I'm just afraid it's going to kill me. So I'm like, okay, if it's mom, you, da, 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 all right, we might have some generational curses and some spirits of infirmity to cast out. Because in the Bible, you'll notice that sometimes Jesus says, be healed. Then other times he casts out a spirit of infirmity. So we have to just figure out which one it is. We need healing or do we need the spirit of infirmity to go? And so I just prayed with the authority that God's given me. And she had a a massive manifestation over each one of those spirits we delivered. She got delivered from a spirit of fear, spirit of infirmity, generational curses of sickness. And and I saw her a couple weeks later, and I actually, it's been a few months now. Um, and she said, since the day you prayed for me, I have not taken one medication. I'm completely set free. I'm back in school. I'm back at my job, and I'm joining the internship program. So I'm just saying, it's going to be really hard to convince that girl that demons aren't real and deliverance isn't real. It's changed her whole life. So coming into C3, my religious spirit was like punched in the face every day. Every day. Yet, I'll tell you this, all of my triggers, once surrendered to Jesus and the truth, led to the biggest transformations in my life. It has completely set me free. So what if when we get triggered about something, we don't rush to be right, we don't rush to judge, we don't rush to be offended and run and write a Yelp review. What if we could actually humble ourselves just for a moment before God, seek the scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit with an open heart and open mind to show you the truth in the word of God. A lot of times we read the Bible trying to prove our stance. That's what I did for so many years. And God could never really speak to me or open my eyes because, like, I didn't want to be wrong. I was so prideful. But once I actually was like, God, am I missing something? Am I missing something? Why are all these things bothering me so much? Could it be that there's strongholds? Could it be that I have a religious spirit? What is it that's bothering me and triggering me so much? And God has completely set me free in all of those areas of my life. So your triggers can lead to some of the biggest transformations if you surrender them to Jesus. And I want to close um, with a few other thoughts. You know, there's this story in Matthew, and you don't have to put it up, guys, Matthew 22, 34 through 40, where uh, the religious people are asking Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And then we know he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second is the like like it to love your neighbor as yourself and then they go and ask him well who's our neighbor then and then he goes on to share the story about the good samaritan which i will read in luke 10 30 through 37 then jesus answered and said a certain man went down from jerusalem to jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing wounded him and departed leaving him half dead 
Now by chance, a certain priest, religious person, came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite who served in the temple, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went down and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you, you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You know, when I came into this church, I did not identify with the Good Samaritan. I identified more with the priest and the Levite, the religious people who were more concerned about getting to my next Bible study than actually loving someone who desperately needed it. And if I was being honest, I identified mostly with the person that had been beaten and broken and wounded and was lying half dead on the side of the road. And that religious spirit in me that was triggered every time I came into these doors was just uh, one of my many attractive qualities. It was really only the surface of, of what was truly broken in my life. Because a, a lifetime of just following the religious rules and trying to appear holy on the outside left me with a lifetime of wounds that had been undealt with, that were now manifesting in my life in such ugly ways because I always had to have it together on the outside. So you never actually were real with what was going on on the inside. And I wanna tell you that this church was the first church, I'm not saying there's many other amazing churches, but this was the first church for me that I encountered Good Samaritans. so messed up <laughs> but this was the first church where they wouldn't let me pretend that I had it all together and they actually looked past my fake outward appearance and said there's a broken little girl in there and they took the time as good Samaritans and they carried me and they brought me to a place where I could receive healing they bandaged my wounds and they ministered to my broken heart they were so patient with me. And it, let me tell you, it was a lengthy journey for me to get my freedom. So you may identify with two different people in that story. You may identify with the broken, the broken person in the story like I was. And I wanna encourage you with two things. To be transparent with the areas that you need healing in, the areas you're struggling with, and to don't try to hide your wounds and your hangups because God cannot heal what you're committed to hiding. And God cannot bless who you're pretending to be. You know, some of you may need to get to that recovery class on the 11th. You've been hiding behind it for too long, ashamed to say that that's an area you need help in. You need to be there. Don't hide anymore. And then the second thing, if you find yourself like that broken person, to give yourself time to heal. You know, he had to be taken to the inn, which represents the church, and it took some time for him to get fully restored. Be patient with yourself. 
We're going to have slip-ups and foul-ups, and it's a part of the journey. It's going to take some time to get completely restored, so be patient with yourself. But maybe you find yourself, and you're the good Samaritan in this story. You've had so much healing, forgiveness. You've been set free. You are just overflowing in the love of God, and you can pour it out onto others. I want to remind those of you today that identify with the good Samaritan to never forget how broken and messed up you were when you first found Jesus. We can get so far from where we were to where we are that we forget how much grace was actually extended to us while we were going on our healing journey and how patient people had to be with you when you were working out your mess. So if you are that good Samaritan today, wouldn't you reconsider those people that are in your world that you need to come alongside and help bring restoration and healing to their broken hearts, to answer the questions that they have, to bind up their wounds. I'm so thankful for this church and I'm so thankful that they didn't give up on me. Like I was so much work. <laughs> I was so much work. And again, I literally scratched the surface of my issues today. And uh, I'm so grateful they didn't give up on me. I would not be here today. I wouldn't be standing up here, that's for sure, if they didn't love me through my journey. So can we love others through their journey too? Amen, amen. Let's give God some praise. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com. 